people are never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice, free market voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. You know, something happened this week that hasn't happened in six years. Six years. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, and it's probably not correct. No, it's not a day where the president didn't play golf. I know that's what everybody's thinking in six years, but no. What's happened in uh, the first time this week in six years is China reported their gold holdings. Now, every year or every so often, countries around the world report their gold earnings. So everybody knows what everybody's got. And the United States has been the leader in gold holdings for a long, long time. We've got... uh, Something like 8,100 tons of gold as a nation, uh, the federal government does. And we're by far, by far the leader in the holder of gold. Now, last week we talked about different mints around the world, different countries that are, are running out of silver. Gold and silver demand is so high that they can't keep up with the demand. Our own U.S. mint stop selling silver eagles they said for a couple of weeks until they catch up but they haven't started selling them yet the uh royal british mint or the british royal mint whichever way it is they saw a huge spike in demand of gold and silver coins mainly going to greece you can understand why but uh what's interesting in all of this is we talked last time about all the derivatives and the short sellers and that kind of stuff that spiked 1,600% on the gold, keeping the gold price down. And indeed, this week it broke below $1,100 an ounce. Now it's inched back up a little bit, but we're getting very near the the production cost of an ounce of gold, around $1,000 or so. But anyway... China reported this week that their gold holdings was 600 tons higher than it was six years ago. And that immediately prompted me to ask, where did all the gold go? Because not only did they report only 600 tons more than six years ago, which put them in fifth place, by the way, in the world, but... They bought it all in May. They bought it all in the last month. So they show no purchases for five years and 11 months, and they buy it all in the last month. Now, that absolutely is not true. Not calling them liars. I'm just saying they're not telling the truth. And the reason I know that is that that 600-ton spike 
that purchase didn't show up anywhere, didn't show up on any of the markets. So China reports their gold, and nobody believes them. We feel, reports feel, that China could be hiding somewhere around 1,800 tons because 600 tons just isn't believable in six years. China digs up more gold than that in the last six years. They, they mine their own. They've bought a lot on the Hong Kong and Singapore markets. We've, we've chronicled that over the years. And uh, it just doesn't make sense that China is lowballing the amount of gold they, they own. Why would they do this? There's very little that makes sense. Coming up this fall, they're they're going to be working with the IMF to try to put the Chinese currency into the special drawing rights of the IMF, which I have no problem with. Some people do. Some people say that's the beginning of the end of the dollar. I don't think so. Other people say they're they're lowballing their their gold holdings in order to make the dollar stronger because they hold a lot of dollars. And they're dependent on us for imports into the United States. That doesn't really hold water either. So I can't think of really much of any reason why China would misreport the amount of gold they have other than, lest we forget, it is communist China. And maybe they just don't want to tell us. Maybe it's none of our business, which I can appreciate. I got no problem with that. Just say so. Don't lie to us. That is blatant. It's easy to disprove. But even with that, gold and silver are at record lows for many years this week. Now, please, please. Don't take that as a statement from me that you should go out and buy gold and silver. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, relatively speaking, over a period of the last five years or so, it's pretty cheap. Deduce from that what you will. But China reporting 600 tons increase over six years just not believable. So as I was thinking about that, I got to to doing a little research about gold and silver and, and what we've talked about over the years. Remember last year, about this time, the uh, London Silver Fix ended. Last August, the London Silver Fix, a group of bankers, they got together every day, every morning, and set the price of silver. And everybody said, well, the, the silver fix going away. It's going to run wild. Well, silver's at the lowest it's been in five, ten years. This August, they're getting rid of the London gold fix. And they're saying the same thing. Well, gold's at a, at a low over the last five years or so. So the London gold fix, the London silver fix, doesn't really have much of an impact on the spot price of the metals around the world on a daily basis. They like to think it did, 
but it really doesn't. Now, in looking at gold, something we talked about, I don't know, a few months ago, was Texas was bringing all its gold back into the state from the New York Federal Reserve. New York Federal Reserve stores a lot of gold for states, big companies, endowments, and other countries around the world. And it wasn't that long ago that Germany decided to repatriate their gold. A bunch of their gold is held in New York Federal Reserve Bank. And the New York Federal Reserve gave them a song and dance saying it would take something like five or six years for them to process their gold into uh, what they call uh, tradable form or, or sellable form and deliver it to Germany. After a little while of people speculating, not unlike myself, that, you know what, maybe, maybe the New York Federal Reserve doesn't have Germany's gold. And we talked a little bit about rehypothecation and how these banks lease out the gold so it's not really there, but Germany's paying a storage fee on an empty locker kind of thing. And it wasn't too long after that that Germany said, uh, you know what, uh, we feel pretty safe leaving it in New York, so we're just going to leave it there. Makes you wonder what went on behind the scenes in that in some meetings. But anyway, Texas decided to create the Texas Bullion Repository, essentially a gold-backed bank in Texas for anybody who would like to deposit and trade in precious metals. Now, this is huge. This is huge. They're repatriating about a billion dollars worth of Texas gold from New York. And uh, this was overwhelmingly passed by the lawmakers in Texas and signed by the governor. They're bringing all their gold back to the state. Now, some people speculate "Eh, one more step toward Texas seceding from the union. I don't think so. I don't think that's the motivation. I think that they're thinking that the state wants to create essentially uh, their own currency based on gold. Now, states under the Constitution are allowed to make laws regarding gold and silver being used as legal tender. States can't print paper anymore, but they can use gold and silver as legal tender in paying bills, paying taxes, that kind of stuff. So the bullion depository is, I think, a step in that direction. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out, see if they get their gold from the Federal Reserve Bank in New York. But if Texas does this and it works, other states are going to follow. And that will be interesting. Coming up, we've talked about student loans and how taxpayers are going to get the bill. New Jersey's got an interesting solution for their residents with student loans. I'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, for weeks we've been hearing about how 
how screwed up Greece is and how they're going bankrupt and, and all that stuff. And we've been through all the austerity, all the offers from Germany and the IMF. I'm not going to rehash that. It's boring. But what triggered it all, what the first domino was, recently anyway for Greece, was missing a payment to the IMF to the tune of about $1.8 billion. Now, $1.8 billion, if it was on the, in cash on a table between you and me, it would look like a lot of money, and it would be a lot of money. But I made the analogy, compared to the student debt in this country, it's nothing. Student debt in this country is $1.3 trillion, with about 32 33% of that being in some form of late payment or default. Well, the latest trend, you remember, uh, oh, what was it, Corinthian Schools. It was a for-profit school, went bankrupt, and the students and former students filed suit saying, hey, our student loan says that if we were deceived or misled about the education, we can file for relief from the student debt. Well, that started the the dominoes falling, and and other for-profit schools are going the same way. They're they're uh, they have billions of dollars of student loans, and students are walking away, or trying to walk away at least from those loans. And a lot of the the for-profit schools you've heard about, like I said Corinthian Colleges was one of them, ITT. Uh, educational services. We've all seen their commercials. They're having some issues. Now, the the federal law says the students will be eligible for relief if they can show schools deceived them into enrolling, as well as when schools shut down and they can't complete their studies. Well, my goodness, that that's I, I can just see how that happens in the government. You sign a little piece of paper saying, "Geez." It wasn't what they told me it'd be. Boom. They forgive the debt. Now, it's interesting that by forgiving the debt, you and I end up paying for it. You and I, the taxpayer, will pay for that. Now, Education Secretary Arne Duncan said in June that his agency would make it easier for students at Corinthian and other for-profit colleges to apply for loan forgiveness. Because many of these kids ended up with huge debts and degrees that meant little to employers, he said, while vowing the department would also protect taxpayers. Now, how are you going to do that? How are you going to pay for loans with taxpayer money while protecting the taxpayer. Typical, typical gibberish. Now, I can see where many in this administration, probably many in Congress, love this whole thing because you notice the language is around for profit. So that means private schools. And this is just one more one more arrow in the quiver, I guess you can say, for the federal government to be against 
for-profit colleges, private colleges, eventually, well, they already are, against private primary education, private elementary and, and high schools, charter schools. So we got a real problem with a ton of student loan debt in this country. It's growing dramatically. The default rate is growing dramatically. And I can see, I can see, I had some people I talked to recently, just graduated from college, mid-20s, husband and wife, advanced degrees, had 400000 of student debt. Can you imagine coming out of college, starting your career with a $400,000 hole to dig your way out of? That, that's incredible to me. Incredible to me. Well, a lot of the students in New Jersey have student loan debt. And some legislators in New Jersey came up with a neat idea, I think, and that is a lottery to pay off college debt. So if you can verify that you have college debt, you are eligible then to buy lottery tickets. And if your ticket gets pulled, your debt's paid off. What a great idea. Isn't that a great idea? I can see that happening. Now, they'll have to expand it so other people, like parents of students, can can uh, buy the lottery tickets and that kind of stuff. But, uh, of course, some people are against it, mainly uh, people in the business of, of helping students get debt and that kind of stuff. But uh, one guy said, uh, he's a counselor at Rutgers University, he says, yeah, it's nothing more than a lottery, and what are the odds of winning the lottery? Well, my, my question is, what are the odds of paying off the student debt? Can't be much different, don't you think? Hey, it's a great idea. What the heck? Sell the tickets for 5 bucks or something, and somebody's going to get their debt paid off. Good idea. Coming up. Another unintended consequence to minimum wage laws. You're going to love this. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. Back to an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. Not too long ago, we was reading about Seattle, city of Seattle, increasing their minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. And since then, we've seen stories of businesses closing their doors, businesses raising their prices dramatically, people cutting back on the number of employees they have, all the stuff that was predicted with raising the minimum wage. And since then, San Francisco put the same thing into effect. I think Los Angeles recently passed some laws. And this week, New York City decided to phase in $15 an hour by 2018 for their fast food workers. Couple this with the overtime rules that President Obama put into place or is in the process of putting into place. And you're going to you're going to unemploy a lot of people. 
Now, everybody's talking about the minimum wage and how Big Macs are going to cost nine bucks and and uh, employers are going to replace employees with machines and and uh, that kind of stuff. McDonald's is experimenting with electronic ordering and paying and then you pick up your food. All of that is true. All of that's going to happen. More people are going to be unemployed. Here's an unintended consequence that nobody talked about. And it's starting to happen in Seattle. And it's going to, because Seattle was the first, uh, one of the first. And this is going to spread throughout the country, all these communities, all these cities that implement this minimum wage. You ready? Employees in Seattle, they got their wage increased. Okay have been asking their employers to cut their hours. They're earning too much. Now, why would someone earn too much? Think about this. Why would these people say, oh, I want fewer hours at this wage? Well, here's the unintended consequence that nobody's talking about, and that is by making more money, their government benefits get cut. So by taking the increased pay and the increased hours or the full-time, people are losing out on various welfare entitlements. There was some research done, and a single mom is better off earning gross income of $29,000 than she is earning $69,000 in gross income. Now think about the ripple effect. Think about the implication of that. By earning $29,000, a single mom will receive, between salary and government entitlements, $57,327. So she makes $29,000, gets the benefit of $57,000. However, if she makes $69,000 in gross income, that net income and benefits only equals $57,045. So at $69,000 of gross income, she essentially takes a $300 hit in overall benefits. Now, these people are smart. They know how to get the maximum entitlements. And they can be on TV saying, oh, I want my wage increase to $15. I want it to go up so I don't have to be on government assistance. So they get the wage that allows them not to be on government assistance, and they back off their hours. Makes sense. Okay, human nature, human action. It's been predicted for a long time, but they want to keep their overall income down so they don't lose public subsidies. That's food stamps, that's child care, that's rent subsidies, it's health insurance, all that kind of stuff. The unintended consequences. Now, understand Understand, I think the less people on government entitlements, the better. Not because I'm a taxpayer, 
only, but because I believe in self-reliance and independence. But it's interesting to see this. And you can bet, you can bet the business owner is going to be vilified for cutting hours of these people. And it's exactly what they want. Exactly what they want. Now, in Seattle, just to look at the, the, uh, the basic food program. Okay, the higher wages phased in. And uh, in March, there were 130,851 people were enrolled in the basic food program. In April, you ready? New wages. The caseload dropped to 130,376. About 270 people less on the food program after the higher wages kicked in, after higher prices are going up on just about everything in Seattle. This is what we've talked about. This is what we've told government and these officials. We told them this was going to happen, and they don't care. They don't care if these people have jobs. Their goal is not to improve the lives of workers, but kill industry that they think hurts consumers. Governor Cuomo was was beaming, beaming as... New York City passed this $15 minimum wage for workers in the fast food industry. The decision does not need legislative approval. It does require the approval of the state labor commissioner, uh, commissioner but that, that's, that's a given. Kumo says this is going to help hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers. It's going to help them uh, find something else to do is what it's going to do. We're going to see what's happened in Seattle happen in New York. Mark my words. Now, speaking of minimum wage, here's good work if you can get it. Remember a few years ago, I think it was only two years ago, Hostess went bankrupt. Remember Twinkies, the chocolate cupcakes with the little swirly stuff on the frosting? They went bankrupt. And part of the reason they went bankrupt, not all, but part, was the um, uh, labor contracts that they had in place. Uh, they, 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 they just felt, not felt, it was reality, that the unions weren't bargaining uh, in good faith. Their labor costs were too high. They couldn't sustain it. So they filed... Uh, bankruptcy essentially killed all the labor contracts. So some people come in. I think it was Apollo uh, is the name of the hedge fund that came in, bought up um, Hostess and paid, I don't know, about $410 million for it a couple years ago. And then they tried to sell it. They improved the revenues. They increased the revenue up to $200 million, uh EBITDA. That's after taxes and, and interest and amortization, depreciation, that kind of stuff. And uh, felt they, they could sell it. Well, there were no buyers. 
So then they were going to take it public, and they backed out on that. They decided not to take it public. Well, in this latest round this week, they went out and borrowed $1.2 billion against the assets of Hostess to pay themselves back. So they put 410 in two years ago. They're getting $905 million back two years later. The company's got $1.2 billion of debt now that it didn't have a month ago. And a couple years from now, they'll go bankrupt again, and somebody else will come in and do it all over again. Now, that's a lot of Twinkies. And I'm not saying they're doing anything illegal. What I am saying is, if you want to be a bondholder of Hostess, you need to do your homework. Make sure you know what you're buying and why you're buying it. And make sure you know the risk. Because it's paying a high interest. It's paying high interest, seven and three quarters over LIBOR. So that's high interest, and it would be tempting. But look at the overall picture, and a couple of years from now, might not be so pretty. Coming up, we had an interesting week of President Obama talking about the IRS and Judicial Watch talking about the IRS. And finally, a quick story about how to be stupid at Yellowstone. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. I can honestly say that I have never watched The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Uh, So I have no opinion of the show. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a good show or a bad show. I don't know. Never watched it. I do know that President Obama was a guest on The Daily Show this week. And in that segment, he talked about the IRS. And you remember he said earlier that there was not a smidgen of corruption at the IRS. Not a smidgen. And he defended that position on The Daily Show. He faulted Congress for passing a crummy law, and the real problem in the agency was not enough money. That's always the Democrats' solution to everything is more money. Okay? Now, you know, not a smidgen of corruption. It never happened. No problem. Nothing. Okay? Defending the IRS. Well, then Judicial Watch comes out. Day after President Obama was on The Daily Show. Day after. And said that it has obtained documents from the IRS that confirm that the IRS used donor lists to tax-exempt organizations to target those donors for audits. Documents also show the IRS officials specifically highlighted how the U.S. Chamber of Commerce may come under high scrutiny from the IRS. Now, what they did, and this is, this is typical bureaucrats, they went clear back, found a, an old, old law that they'd never uh, enforced before, 
and started going under that law as far as donations to these uh, charitable organizations, nonprofit organizations, I won't say charitable, nonprofit organizations that are connected to the Tea Party or conservative groups like Carl Rove's uh, Crossroads, GPS, that kind of stuff. And they wanted the list of donors to compare those names to see if any of those donors had filed a gift tax return for the amount that they gave to the organization and if it was over $13,000. So you remember the big deal when they were asking for donor lists? That's why. They were fishing. Fishing for a law that hasn't been enforced since 1982 and uh, trying to get conservatives, conservative organizations, trying to essentially uh, scare people enough so that they wouldn't be part of this. They wouldn't contribute to it. Now, they said at the time, the documents show that the donors' names were being used for a secret research project, quote, unquote. That makes me feel good. Now, to the IRS, nearly one in ten donors were subject to an audit. In 2011, as many as five donors to the conservative organization Freedom's Watch were audited. Many people were personally targeted by the IRS. Now, we know the IRS targeted not only right-leaning applicants, but also right-leaning groups that were already operating as 501c4s. They were flagged for IRS surveillance, including monitoring of the group's activities, websites, and any other publicly available information. Of the groups, 83% were right-leaning. Of the groups that the IRS selected for audit, 100% were right-leaning. According to the IRS's own documents, makes me feel comfortable, doesn't it, you? Now, that being said, this week also, the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services changed changed the oath that people take when they come into this country and become a citizen. Before, the oath uh, said that they... Uh, they will bear arms on behalf of the United States and perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by law. Well, the rule change kind of took that out. They no longer have to defend the United States. It allows naturalized citizens to refuse service altogether. So that you can become a citizen, and now the oath is changed to defend this country. No longer have to defend the country. Now, I can understand conscientious objectors. I can understand religious beliefs. But you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove you're a member of a church or a belief or anything. You just don't have to if you don't want to as a naturalized citizen. 
By the way, it should be noted that the uh, the the guy that killed four Marines and a Navy sailor in in Tennessee was a naturalized citizen. Just food for thought. Food for thought. Now here, here we we gotta have some some legislation here. No no question about it. Yellowstone Park officials are reminding visitors not to get too close to animals just to get a good selfie. Now, this is, I mean, I, 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 I'm i not sure I can even talk about this story without any teeth falling out of my head. This is so dumb. Some woman and her daughter saw that other people were getting close to animals and taking selfies. So... She decided it would be a good idea for her and her daughter to get a selfie with a bison. And so they get it all lined up. And they turn their back on the bison, which is about 15, 18 feet away, in order to grab the photo. And they heard footsteps. <laughs> this, is, oh, this is beautiful. They heard footstep well no they they said they heard bison footsteps i don't know if those sound different than than other footsteps but the footsteps were moving toward them and they took off running but uh apparently they're not faster than a bison and the bison caught the uh the mother on the side lift her up and tossed her over on her head uh the woman had minor injuries you know it's lucky she didn't get killed but uh there's warnings all over the place about getting too close to the wild animals. Uh, they are wild. These are not pets. And I would, you know, if there's going to be a selfie, I'd like to see the selfie with the woman in midair. I think that would be interesting to put on Facebook. Um, absolutely, stupidly incredible. Uh, there's warnings all over, there's park literature, there's signage, but they, they didn't heed any of that. Now, I will bet anybody a buck, they're going to sue the park system. They're going to sue because that bison took off after them. Um, the park official said bison can sprint three times faster than humans and are unpredictable and dangerous. No kidding. No kidding. Interesting lesson for the daughter. Hope she learned something from that. Oh, I want you to have a great day. I want you to be self-reliant, independent. I want you to be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. 